Welcome back, everyone, to the Shred Takes podcast show brought to you by me, Mike Shredder. I hope you guys are finding this content and at least are tuning into a great episode that I have unpacked for you guys today. There's a lot of things we're going to cover and discuss on this episode on this Saturday, so I hope you guys are going to give this definitely some good attention. If you haven't checked out any of my recent episodes, please go check those out as well. You don't want to miss any of that content. And you definitely want to be prepared for any new episodes that come out next. So definitely subscribe on any podcast platform you listen to. And also subscribe on YouTube so you get latest clips from any episode I do during the week. But this show is going to unpack a couple things. We're going to talk about why Giannis deserves his props. We're going to talk about what the Knicks should do in free agency slash the draft. And we're also going to talk about my top 10 heading into next year NBA players if everything holds up, right? And we're going to talk all about that in, in, a, in a sec. But let, let, let's start off with the big news, which is Giannis Tentacumpo is now an NBA champion. G, you, you know, the guys who criticized him, Chris Paul, James Harden, they're not NBA champions. Damian Lillard, who everyone thought was better than Giannis at some points, he's not an NBA champion. Giannis is an NBA champion, and he deserves every bit of it. He won finals MVP. He had 50 and 14 and five blocks in that closeout game against the Phoenix Suns. They came back from a 2-0 deficit and won four straight games to clinch that series. And he was a big part of that. He averaged 35 and 13 in the series on 61.8% shooting and 65.9% from the line. And speaking of that, he was 17 of 19 in the last game from the free throw line. Giannis deserves his props. Let's just be out. Let's let's say it what it is. Giannis deserves his props. And the reason being is he did it on both ends of the court. And the reason being is he also did it his way. He didn't allow people to dictate who he was and what he had to be. He took efficient shots. He didn't rely on three-point shooting, attacked the basket. He took advantage of mismatches when Phoenix went small or when Phoenix went zone. And this is a credit to Giannis, right? This is a credit maybe to Mike Boonhoser too, making the proper adjustments, running more ball screen offense, moving the ball more, getting guys in oral position, having Giannis be more on the move. Giannis dominated. And he dominated this postseason, let's be honest. Every series, his numbers were really, really good, right? And against Miami, it was the only series I look at and be like, eh, he didn't play as well as he did in the regular season. Yeah, it's 23 and a half and then I think 13 and a half rebounds and eight assists in that series, though, because he was more of a facilitator. And the fact is that he is a facilitator when he has to be. And when you have to converge on him, he knows how to get the ball out of his hands. He knows how to get his guys better. But the big thing with him, though, is that he learned from that. And he also understood, at least in this series, that he had to be aggressive going downhill. And he, if he got fouled and went to the free throw line and missed free throws, he had to continue to keep on attacking. He couldn't let that dictate his game. And he kept attacking. He kept on working hard. In the last game, he shot 16 of 25 from the floor. He shot 17 of 19 from the line. And he had a solid 50 points. So just put, let's put that in perspective there, right? He had 50 points. 50 points, which is the most in a closeout game since Bob Pettit did it in 1957. Think about how long ago that is. He, more to close out game LeBron James, more than Michael Jordan, more than Kobe Bryant, more than Magic Johnson, more than Kevin Durant, even though Kevin Durant had an incredible playoff run up until Milwaukee beat them, right? This is, this is the, the, the idea I've been talking about for a long time. 
if you, when Giannis plays to his capabilities, he is as good as anyone in the NBA. And he might not be as skilled as a Durant or as skilled as a LeBron, but he is still dang skilled. And people say, oh, he's got no skill. Uh, yes, he does. His ball handling is elite. You can't take that away from him. His ability to handle the ball in transition half court is pretty dang amazing for a power forward, especially. His ability to his footwork in the in the lane and his body control, that's a skill. He's de- his defensive anticipation, his defensive awareness, his block, his blocking shot ability, his rebounding ability, his ability to pass. The only thing that the other guys really have over him is maybe a slightly better handle and jump shooting. Otherwise, Giannis is kind of better than them in most of the other aspects. Right? LeBron's not as athletic as he once was. LeBron's not quite as quick as he once was. You can make an argument that Giannis might be more efficient now in the paint than LeBron is at this point. Right? Prime LeBron, I don't know, but Giannis just dominates people inside. And there's a reason why he's the most dominant player in the game. And the fact that he now has a championship on his resume puts him in that position of being that elite level player that we're talking about. Right? That's, that's kind of how it is. Right? That's, how, that's how it gets brought up and discussed. And that is, that's the big thing that we talk about when we talk about Giannis. Right? Can he deliver in the postseason? He didn't do it the last two postseasons, but he learned from that and he delivered this year. Yes, we can give credit to Drew Holiday's defense and Chris Middleton's clutch play, but Giannis was the reason they won this finals. Yes, Chris Middleton had a great series, and yes, Drew Holiday had some good games as well. And P.J. Tucker, Brooke Lopez, Pat Connaughton, and Bobby Portis all made valuable contributions. But it all comes down to at the end is that Giannis finally showed people why he can be considered the best player in the NBA and why he was a two-time, two-time MVP in the regular season as well as the Defensive Player of the Year in 2020. Giannis deserves his props. People saying, making excuses, oh, well, Brooklyn didn't have everyone. Well, to be honest, that, that I don't like that excuse, right? They still lost, okay? I understand they still had Kevin Durant, and they had a hard hobble James Harden, right? We probably, you know, we can do the what-if game. Well, they had all three guys, they would have won. Well, the Bucs did beat them with, with Kevin Durant and Kyrie. I know they won two games at home. But they were on the way to beat them in game four as well when that happened as well. You know, they, they, they were in a close game. They were starting to get momentum in that game when Kyrie got hurt. So, let, you know, let, let, let's not, you know, get this, you know, swept under the rug here. Making excuses doesn't always, you know, it, it, unfortunately, the reality is the Bucks won the NBA championship. Yeah, maybe with a big three in Brooklyn. Yeah, they, 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 maybe they would have won the NBA championship. Yeah, the Lakers were fully healthy. Maybe they would have won the NBA championship. But they weren't fully healthy, and that does get factored into being a great player and being able to stay available and healthy for your team. And Giannis was able to do that. Kevin Durant had a great playoffs, right? But he couldn't quite beat that that Bucks team, and it was because he couldn't really beat them by himself. But that's my opinion there, right? That is my opinion, um, and that you know that's a reality of the situation that we're in, right? Is that you can't just assume that someone's going to win unless the facts point that way. Yes, I understand that the the Brooklyn Nets had the most talented offense in the NBA and when they had their big three, but they only played eight games together and Kyrie gets hurt a lot. James Harden was out of shape, which probably contributed somewhat to his hamstring injury because of the way he plays. Because He plays a lot of quick bursts and uses a lot of fast twitch movements. And he was a little bit, it was out of shape, right? When he came to Houston, he was way out overweight. When he was in Brooklyn, he was not necessarily in, in peak physical condition. I get he played 46 minutes on a bad hamstring, but he wasn't moving around much, right? It's not that hard comparably to playing what Kevin Durant was doing, right? It's still hard to do what Harden was doing, and I give him props for that because he had to fight through a grade two hamstring strain, which is very serious. But 
the, the reality is, is that Kevin Durant was the only guy in the playoffs who seemed reliable in terms of his health. But you have to understand that, you know, Kyrie is a guy that gets hurt a lot. And we all know how special Kyrie is on the offensive end, but he gets hurt a lot, right? Or he's out for personal reasons, right? His availability is always in question. And James Harden, right, his, his playoff numbers are not always great. I mean, let's be honest. I understand he had the hamstring issue, but his three-point shooting was not good enough to win that game, right? And this is the thing I saw at Brooklyn, right? You have Kyrie, who's not always there. You have a team that doesn't play elite-level defense, which they play good defense against Milwaukee, but not elite-level. And they also have, you know, stars that aren't always either, A, good in the playoffs or consistent in terms of their health. Kevin Durant, not always consistent in terms of his health. Kyrie, not always consistent in terms of his health. James Harden, a little bit of both, but James Harden's more so he hasn't performed that well in the playoffs. In that game seven, I understand he couldn't go to the basket, but he couldn't make any threes either. Right. And, and he's a better three point shooter than what he what he has shown in those big games where he had to play better. Right. So that's the notion. Right. Giannis deserves his props. Admit it. Right. People are making excuses for the Lakers last year, too. The Lakers deserve to win that championship last year. Right. The Clippers folded against the Nuggets and the Bucks and the Celtics weren't good enough to beat the Heat that, in that playoff run. So, yeah, the Lakers won the championship and you have to give them the props. Like you have to give the Bucks their props. Phoenix was good enough to beat every team in the West. Yes, I understand the Clippers didn't have Kawhi Leonard, who's probably a top five player in the game, but the Phoenix Suns beat them anyway. So, you know, Phoenix Suns beat the Lakers with LeBron, right? I, I you know, that, so that, that this whole notion that well, it would have been different with play with with the guys not being hurt. To be honest, I don't like that excuse because you know what? Like these teams that got to the championships were the teams that were the healthiest, that deserved to be there, and honestly, play defense. Milwaukee is number one in the entire playoffs in defense, and Phoenix was number two. So give Giannis his props. Another thing I kind of want to jump into quickly, though, is the New York Knicks, right? I'm a huge Knicks fan. If you've been following this podcast, you know I'm a big Knicks fan. I like talking about the Knicks. And the Knicks have a big free agency ahead of them, right? Free agency kind of opens up August 3rd for opportunities for them to get big free agents, right? Which is obviously really crucial for a team. And the Knicks that's young, that just surprised everyone getting to the postseason, and needs to build on what they have established in order to get to the playoffs again and make some noise. I've mentioned before me looking at a guy like Shea Gillis Alexander. That would have to give up a lot of assets in order to do that, but that would be an option I would I would explore if I were the New York Knicks. Damian Lillard, if he becomes available, right, you would probably give up a lot of options to do that too. But there is a big risk factor to that because it's whether or not he really wants to come to New York or not. I think, you know, the issue with that is I think he wants to go to somewhere where he can probably win a championship, but I don't think he wants to join a super team. So the Knicks have an opportunity, but I don't necessarily see them getting Damian Lillard, in my opinion. They could get Russell Westbrook, but they haven't made any moves there, right? They could get Bradley Beal, but Bradley Beal seems pretty loyal to the Washington Wizards. So I think Shea Gillis-Alexander is a good fit for them. I think they can look at guys like Mike Conley or Malcolm Brogdon, who I think would be a good fit. And But, you know, I, I focus with them more so on the draft. And I think there's a lot of key pieces in the draft for them to be a successful team. And what I mean by that is there are guys who I think fit their needs very well. Chris Duarte from Oregon I think is a very good prospect for the Knicks to consider at that 19th slot. The reason being is that he's an excellent three-point shooter. He was 39.2% at Oregon overall, and he was 41.2 on catch-and-shoot opportunities. He also averaged 17 points a game. And Oregon was a tough team out. They, they, were, they were tough out. They beat Iowa, and Iowa was a lot higher. They were a tough seven seed. 
because they went small and they all could shoot. And here's a big reason why they were such a good three-point shooting team late in the year because of the level we played at. I think he was a second-team All-American last year. The guy can really flat-out shoot the basketball, and he's got good size. And the Knicks, whether or not you, you, you look at this, the Knicks, I understand people are looking at the Knicks and saying, okay, the Knicks shot the three well last year in the regular season. But in the playoffs, they didn't, right? Having multiple shooters, especially because you have Randall who likes to go to the basket, R.J. Barrett likes to go to the basket, even though he can shoot. Both those guys can shoot. They like to go to the basket a lot more than they do like to th- shoot the three. Derrick Rose likes to get in the paint as well. That would help them out a lot more, right? If they have another shooter who can catch and shoot an elite level, right? That, that That's one piece I look at and say, that's a good that's, that's a good draft option, right? But I'm also looking at a, cu- a couple other options as well, right? So people are saying Sharif Cooper, maybe, right? Sharif Cooper has a lot of problems. He's a very good player, very talented but I think that unless he – he was a bit of an inconsistent three-point shooter in college. Like, he's a, he's a good, very good scorer and he can run your offense. But the Knicks already have Derrick Rose and Emmanuel quickly, I think. Unless you get, like, an elite-level point guard in, in free agency, I, that's not really the direction I see the Knicks necessarily going. I think the Knicks need a legitimate shooting guard, more a guy off the ball. If they're not going to get, like, a Damian Lillard or a Russell Westbrook, I think they need, like, a shooting guard. Because, you know, the point guard position – I know Derrick Rose is not necessarily the guy people want leading the franchise, but I like Derrick Rose. And Emmanuel quickly does add a lot of value. And I think you could also get a backup point guard like a TJ McConnell also, right? Emmanuel quickly is probably more of a two, I guess. Sharif Cooper is an interesting pick, but I, I, I would probably take Chris Dorte over Sharif Cooper just because I think Chris Dorte fits more of the Knicks needs in terms of having an elite level three-point shooter rather than a ball-dominant point guard. And Sharif Cooper's very good, right? I think he'll be a good NBA. I think he's got a lot of potential. But that's something I look at, right? Now, the Knicks also, people are thinking, like, Charles Bassey might be a good fit. I think, actually, that would be interesting, right? I, I think if the Knicks were to trade away one of their bigs, Mitchell Robinson or Nerlens Noel, you need a guy who's going to block shots and rebound at an elite level. And that's what Bassey does bring you. Bassey is very good in the pick and roll. He's a very good finisher around the basket. And he's also a guy that is an elite level rebounder. He's not super skilled in terms of post moves. He has like maybe one or two post moves you can go to, but he can fit the Knicks need in a pick and roll situation, but he's not really a elite level skilled offensive player. Like he, he has the ability to rip and go to the basket. He's a very an incredible offensive rebounder and, and he blocks some shots. And I think that would be fitting the Knicks, Knicks needs very helpful. And it'd be a very helpful way. That's where I go with that. So Chris Dorte and Charles Bassey, I think are the, are the direction that you go. And Isaac, Isaiah Jackson, I think, is a little too raw. I know Tom Tidwell has been good on development, but I'd rather have someone, even though it'd be a little bit more polished. Bassey's a little bit more polished, even though he does have some raw nature to his game. I think that he's a little bit more polished than a guy like Isaiah Jackson if they were going to go in the big direction. I think you also look at... So there's, there's people looking at, for example, Zaire Williams, right? I think he's a little too of a much of a project, um, I think he's got a lot of potential, but again, potential is like Jonathan Kaminga. Potential, I'm not necessarily looking for a guy who's going to build four or five years down the road necessarily, right? I, I want the Knicks to be successful next year and, this guy, and the guys that they draft to make an impact in some way. Obi Toppin looks like a project in a sense, right? I mean, he got better as the year went on, but projects don't always work on a team that's a playoff team, right? That's for a team that maybe isn't going to be in the playoffs and needs to develop pro- more properly. And that is an important thing to understand, right? So, there is that whole notion there that I think people are forgetting is that there is that idea of being better 
suited to play on a playoff team than being a guy that needs to be developed four or five years down the road. And that's why Isaiah Jackson, I think, is going to be a bit of a, of a, pro, a project because he has to gain weight. He has to get a little bit more skilled and I think get a little bit more disciplined on the offense and defensive end because he gets in foul trouble a lot. And then also with a guy like Zaire Williams, right, he's not, he's not a very good three-point shooter. He's very skinny, so he's going to get pushed around a lot in the NBA. And why he's very athletic and can create his own shot and can create for others, his, his size and his lack of three-point shooting is not something the Knicks are necessarily in need of in terms of a draft prospect, right? They either need a big who can really catch and finish around the basket and is a great rebounder and shot blocker, right? And I think Charles Bassey brings that. But I think they, what they really need is a three-point shooter that can just knock it down. And I think Chris Dorte is a really good prospect in terms of that. So for the Knicks, I think that's the direction they should go in, either Chris Dorte or Charles Bassey with those picks. But I think also you look at this this guy from Turkey, Alberlin um, Sengun. Um, I, I think he has a lot of promise. I think he's a very skilled big. And the thing is, though, that would be a big risk, Um because, but I think that you know that would be another guy because I watched a little bit of film on him. He's got very good footwork. He's very good. At, he reminds me a little bit of like a Vucevic, so bonus type player. And he's also a guy who's the MVP in Europe. And the last couple of guys who did that ended up being very successful NBA players. Nikola Jokic, Luka Doncic, Dario Saric has been a very good role player. So maybe that's another guy the Knicks consider. But I think the Knicks really should look at a high athletic big like a Charles Bassey who has you know decent fundamentals. Chris Dorte with this three-point shooting, or maybe Sengun from Turkey. That would be probably the three guys I'd look at. Sharif Cooper, I think, could be an interesting piece, but I think the Knicks already have point guard. Unless they're going to get a star-studded point guard, I wouldn't. that would not be the direction I necessarily would go in. So that's where I go with the Knicks. And, uh, and we're going to take a quick break here, and I'm going to break down my top 10 players going to next season in the NBA. So all that coming back up when we return from this break. See you guys shortly. So welcome back, guys, to the Shred Takes podcast show. So my first two seconds, we talked about Giannis deserving his props for winning the NBA Finals. And then I talked about how the Knicks should approach free agency slash their, what draft prospects they should look at for this upcoming year. But speaking of this upcoming NBA year, I'm going to break down my top 10 early NBA players, like in terms of like who I'm ranking top 10 going into next season. And this is going to be a little different because – there were some guys I used to have on this list that I'm not necessarily considering. Um, and that's more because I need that they need to prove a lot more for me to like actually put them in the list. But this is going to be my list and I'm going to break it down for you guys right now. So let me just pull up the list for you guys right now. All right. So you see the list right now in front of you, right? You got Giannis, you got, KD, LeBron, Steph, Kawhi went healthy, Luka, Jokic, Embiid, Harden, and Lillard. Okay? So that's the list I have right there. And we're going to start out with number 10. Why is Damian Lillard number 10? Well, Damian Lillard is a very elite-level player, but I think in terms of facilitating, he's not as good as Harden. I think Harden can do a little bit more on the court. And I think that also the fact is that Damian Lillard, even though he's played well in the playoffs, he led in three-point shooting and in clutch shooting. I would take Harden because Harden's multifaceted. And even though Lillard can pass, I'm not saying he can't pass. Harden is one of the best passers in the NBA. And Harden's also a guy that creates a little bit more mismatch issues just because of his pure size. Number nine, James Harden, right? James Harden's at number nine because I think he really proved himself to be more than just a scorer last year with the Brooklyn Nets. 
The big thing with him is playoff performances and being in shape. That's his big, that's a big knocks on him. That's why he's at number nine. Cause I also defensively, he's improved a lot more in that area, but I would take a guy like Embiid over him because Embiid can do both things on both ends at a more elite level, right? Number eight, Joel Embiid, pretty simple, right? I think he's the most dominant center in the game, but his big thing, health, limiting his turnovers. And I think also the fact is the reason why I take him over the other two guys I had in, in Harden and Lillard is because he's very good defensively and he's very dominant offensively, right? He's a guy that was averaging, you know, a lot of numbers and high amount of numbers in the playoffs, but his turnovers are very high. And I think his conditioning needs to be better. And that's, that's why I have him at eight, seven, Nikola Jokic, right? And this is all gets based down to Embiid's more talented and, and more dominant, but he's not as consistent in terms of his health. He doesn't manage the basketball as better or better. He's not, he doesn't get his teammates as good in terms of around him, right? Jokic is a better passer. Jokic is a guy who gets guys more involved. Jokic, I think, is, is a guy who's just more consistent night to night. And he, Jokic did play better overall in the playoffs than Embiid did. It's slightly, but he did play better. In the Western Conference, that also means a lot more, too. And Jokic has consi- con- consistently, he's at least gotten to the Western Conference Finals. And this year, at least, he was the MVP of the week, right? So you have to at least give him the knock the nod, I'm sorry, over Joel Embiid just because of consistency, because of that he makes everyone else around him better because he actually isn't, even though he's not the defender in terms of protecting the rim that Embiid is, he does get a lot of steals, which is the one advantage he has over Embiid. And even though I ranked Embiid as higher during the beginning of the season, injuries and consistency in terms of your health do play a big factor into where I rank you. Number six, I have Luka Doncic, and this is pretty easy. I think the postseason really proves how good he is, and he averaged the most amount of points in the postseason – he had a 46-point almost triple – I think he had a 46-point triple-double in Game 7 against the Clippers. His team wasn't good enough, right? But he's, he's unbelievable offensively. He's a guy that can create his own shot better than a lot of guys. He can shoot the three at a really good clip. He gets guys better around him. The only knock on him really is defense. And I would say – so there's three knocks on him. Like the, the, big, the big things that he's successful at is he he's, has everything you want offensively. Post-game ability to pass. He can rebound a high level. He, you know, understands the pick and roll really well. He can, you know, he reads defenses really well. He's, he plays at his own pace. So he has got all of that. The reason why I, I put Kawhi over him is Kawhi's better in clutch moments. Um, Kawhi's a better defender. And I would say Luca. the only thing I have with him, this is not a big problem. This is why he's so good. But the ball dominance issue, Luca's got to be better with not having the ball in his hands so much. Right. I understand that's how Rick Carlisle ran the offense, but that's something Luke is going to have to improve to be able to play, you know, consistently all the time at the end of games. So number five, I have Kawhi Leonard. This is when he's healthy because Kawhi Leonard, as we know, has a partially torn ACL. So we'll see what happens when he comes back. But Kawhi Leonard is a top five player in the game when he's healthy. And that that's true. And it's because of his consistency. And this is also going next year based off of what I saw in the postseason, too. When Kawhi was healthy, he was playing unbelievable in the playoffs, averaging almost 30 points a game, defending the better team's best player very well for the most part. He did the best job out of anyone on the Clippers on Luka, and he did a decently good job on Donovan Mitchell as well. So, And also the fact is that he, he's very good in, in, in the fourth quarter of games. He can take over games when he, has, when he has to. When big moments he has shown up, that game six at, at Dallas, and then even those two games that he lost, the two games they won at home against the Utah Jazz, he showed up in a big way. So that has to get factored into when you're looking at Kawhi Leonard as a top five player. He is, right, just because he does things on both ends of the court. He's an elite-level scorer. And, what you know, I think if he were healthy, they probably would have given Phoenix a better series or maybe even beaten Phoenix if he were there. 
Number four, Steph Curry. Really simple. That Golden State team did not even deserve to be in the runnings for trying to get in the playoffs. He's easy to play with. He gets guys better. He is the best shooter in the league. He won the scoring title this year. He was in the MVP conversation. And he's a guy that is just always consistently putting up great numbers. And look, made the postseason. People, were, He's also a two-times MVP. And the postseason, maybe people are not always happy about his production all the time, but he's put up good numbers in the postseason. And I think he should have won finals MVP in 2015. I think that was a little bit of a snub on, on their end to not give it to him. But he, 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 he played better than Kawhi this year. Yes, Kawhi's a better defender, but Steph Curry's, you know, does all different things on offense. He makes a really free-flowing offense. And also, Golden State had one of the best defense in the NBA this year. People don't want to point that out. And he got a lot of steals, and he does disrupt passing lanes. And Steph's just a better player. He's, he does a lot of different things offensively. He's much easier to play with, which I take it heavily into account. And that's an important thing when I rank him at number four. Number three, I have LeBron James. And that's very easy. So Giannis and Kevin, and Kevin Durant are better players at this point because they proved more in the playoffs, right? LeBron is still a top three because he's in the, when he's healthy, he was in the MVP conversation, probably could have won MVP. He gets guys better involved. He's a good defender. He still can score at a pretty high level. It's LeBron James, right? He's still really good. He's not as quick as he used to be or as good, but he's still going to be a guy that's going to be running the MVP every year. Number two, I have Kevin Durant. Number two, and the reason being, Kevin Durant is, is, is the best scorer of anyone on this list. But I, I look, and he's a good defender, and he can get guys involved and everything like that. But I look at the fact of the overall impact. I slightly don't see him as much as Giannis. Because I think Giannis is a better defender, better rebounder. I think Giannis scores in a more efficient way because Giannis just scores layups. I think Giannis is also a better defender. I think Giannis is a slightly better passer. Kevin Durant's a better shooter and probably a little bit in a better score. But in their series, it wasn't it wasn't like a one guy was you know clearly scoring a lot more than the other. I mean, Kevin Durant averaged thirty five five point nine points a game, and Giannis averaged thirty one point seven points a game or, th- or nine points a game, something like that. So it wasn't like a huge difference there. But Kevin Durant is better than LeBron James because he can. He dominated more this year. He, he got far in the playoffs. He was more consistent in terms of his play overall this season. He's number two. And number one, Giannis, the recent Finals MVP. And this might be recency bias, but I like what he – the fact is I always thought Giannis was, 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 could have been the best player in the league as long as he proved in the playoffs. And he did this year. And the fact that he can do it on both ends of the court and he can do it from being a really efficient scorer as well, gets his teammates involved, and he's a great defender, that's where I go with that. Thank you so much for tuning in the Shred Takes podcast and look forward to you guys seeing more episodes next week. Make sure to subscribe on the different podcast platforms you listen to and on YouTube as well. See you guys soon.